Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 131. Let's just read this together this morning. O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty, nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul like a weaned child rests against his mother. My soul is like a weaned child within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Spurgeon said about this psalm, he said it's one of the shortest psalms to read but the longest to learn. And I think after reading it you can see the truth in that because what it gets down to is not just like very specific applications and very specific areas of the Christian life, but it gets down to the heart issues. It gets down to what Christianity really is all about. We can talk about a lot of things, and there's a lot of things that are worthy of our attention. You can talk about causes in the world. You can talk about um, just various aspects of Christianity. But if you want to get down to what Christianity really is and what it means to live the Christian life, then you've got to get down to this word of trust and faith and rest on the Lord. And that's what this psalm is about. And as a confession of my own soul, um, a lot of times, you know, you go to conferences. I go to work conferences. You guys have probably done this before. You go to a conference and you'll have main sessions and breakout sessions. And basically what you have is you have an expert on the subject who really knows what he's talking about. He's distilled all of the knowledge related to this certain subject, and he gets up and gives it. That's not what you have this morning. I am not an expert on the subject. As a matter of fact, I studied this psalm, and I went to this psalm out of my own need. I went there because I needed this in my own soul. And that's why I'm here this morning. And that's why I'm preaching this psalm. But the encouraging thing about the Bible and the encouraging thing about being a Christian is you don't have to be an expert. Christianity doesn't need experts. Christianity just needs people that are willing to read and follow the Scriptures. And so my hope this morning is if I can just read a few of these verses and highlight a few of the things that the Lord says that you may find some of the same encouragement that I have and what this psalm has to say to us. So Lord willing, we're going to look at this psalm, and we're going to look at a couple of aspects. We're going to look at his condition, this condition of rest and peace, and look at how he arrived at this condition. And we'll talk a little bit about that. So we'll look at his condition, and we'll look at how he arrived at this condition. Well, what is the psalmist's condition in this psalm? The psalmist describes himself as a, wee, as a child resting against his mother. But this is not just any child, this is a weaned child. And the psalmist is very specific to point that out. The unweaned child is frantically thrashing about trying to find the milk. But the weaned child is simply enjoying the way it feels to be against his mother. It's a very, it still stands as one of the most peaceful pictures on earth. When a child is finally weaned and he's not coming to his mother necessarily to get something, 
He's just coming against his mother because that is the greatest place of rest that he can find in the entire world. And so the psalmist wants to take that picture and he says, my soul is like that. That's my experience with the Lord. While the rest of the world is getting thrashed about with all of its problems and with all of its ambitions, and while the world just goes on and all of its turmoil and everything's chaotic and getting turned up, you've got ISIS over in the Middle East, you've got unrest in Ferguson still, You've got problems all over the world. You've got this deal with Planned Parenthood going on. I mean, it's like video after video, and some people still aren't seeing it. You've got wars. We're always talking about the next place that we're going to have to go to war to, and who knows what the war is actually over. Then you've got your job and the chaos in your job and the stuff that you have to deal with every day, and then you come home and all of the stuff that didn't get done over the weekend or the weekend a year ago... And there's all of this stuff, and it's just chaos all around us. And if you want, if you let it, you just get swept up in it. You get swept up in all of the questions and everything that's going around you. But the psalmist says, I have found a better place to rest than all of that. Yeah. Have you ever, he says, have you ever seen a weaned child? I mean, it's just such a wonderful picture, just resting against its mother with no care in the world because he's perfectly secure that mom, whatever there is, mom is going to take care of it. That's the way I am with the Lord. And the psalmist wants to draw us into that. That's his condition. It's one of peace and rest on the Lord. Well, how did he arrive at this condition? It says he arrived at this condition in verse 2, Surely I have composed and quieted my soul. Now, I want you to notice the action here. This is important. This is something that he had to do. You don't wake up in the morning, generally speaking, with a composed and quiet soul. It's something that you have to work on. It's something that takes effort. If you just let your soul go and hope for the best, you can be certain that you are going to end up with an unquiet, uncomposed soul. So this is what he says. When you compose something, well, let's look at the words. When you compose something, you bring the various elements into harmony. You've all heard this in relation to a song. You compose a song. Well, what about quieting something? We all know about this. Kids, you know about this. When you're in a room and all of a sudden you hear mom say, kids, quiet down. You know what that means. You're making a lot of noise. And you need to make less than a lot of noise. That's what quiet down means. And that's what can happen inside of us sometimes when we've got... And kids, I know that you deal with this too. You've got fears. You've got things that you think about. You've got things that when you're laying there on bed, your mind's just kind of turn around. You've got things that bother you. And you just kind of feel like you're all just kind of churned up inside. Well, the psalmist is talking to you too. He's telling you how you can deal with that. He's telling you what you can do that you too can rest on the Lord. You too. Now skip to I'll skip ahead a little bit just to prove the point. He says in verse 3, O Israel, hope in the Lord. That's encouraging because he's not just talking to very specific people. He's not just saying, well, you adults rest on the Lord. He's saying, anybody that can hear my voice, rest on the Lord. 
rest on the Lord. So kids, just as a side note, if you if you got things that trouble you and you're laying there in bed at night, because I can remember doing this as a kid, thinking about things like dying, thinking about things like, oh, there's just all sorts of things that you can think about and you start getting worried and bothered about them, just talk to the Lord about those things. You tell Him all about those things and rest on Him because these verses are for you too. So that's a side note. He composed his soul. He quieted his soul. This is something that you have to work on. And the, the thing is, you'll get up in the morning and you'll quiet your soul and you'll find that your soul actually gets out of tune. And you have to compose it and quiet it again. The point is this. This is, this is something that takes effort. It's something that takes being Intentional. It's something that takes being deliberate, something that you actually have to choose to do. And the hard part is, right when you need this the most, is right when you feel like making, you don't feel like making any effort at all. It's when things are so hard and your soul is uncomposed and your soul is not quiet, you've got all these things rolling around, that's the very time when you feel the least like putting forth the effort to do this. But the psalmist is saying, oh, you need to do this. You need to do this because if you can experience what it's like to rest against the Father, if you can just experience that, it's going to change everything. Resting, composing your soul, and making it quiet. He doesn't just leave us with these general terms. He gets specific about how he arrived at this rest. How did he compose and quiet his soul? And what he gives us is basically two things, humility and hope. If you want a quiet, composed soul, there's no way around it. You're going to need two things. You're going to need humility. You're going to have to deal with your pride. And you're going to need hope. You're going to need hope. And these are really two sides of the same coin. There is no true hope without humility because in order to hope, you have to get over yourself, right? If you're going to actually have hope at some point, you've got to stop looking at yourself, which is what humility is really all about. You get over yourself. And in the same way, there is no true humility without hope, because if you actually do get over yourself and preoccupied with yourself and what's going on with your world, if you actually do get over yourself and focus solely on the Lord, hope always comes. Hope always comes. So let's look at these two things. Kind of under the, the heading under this, one heading, rest comes from a soul composed and quieted with humility. I found this kind of humorous. I don't know if this is actually humorous. But I found it humorous. At later, I went to this text originally because I'm, I'm preaching it out of need. I was studying it out of need. I need this in my own life. And I came, kind of came to it hoping to kind of get coddled a little bit. You know, like encouraged and like patted along there. Like, you can do it, buddy. And the very first thing that the psalmist wants to talk about is my pride. Isn't it amazing? That's verse 1. O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty, nor do I involve myself in matters, in myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. 
And as, as kind of another side note here, the temptation for me in verses like this, when I come, a lot of times when I preach, I'll get something in my mind and I'll think about a verse and I'll be like, man, that's really encouraging me and maybe it can encourage other people. And you start studying it and you start in on that narrow little verse and this has happened to me several times. But if you step back and read the context, you get a more full picture. And a lot of times it doesn't necessarily change the meaning, but it may reorder things for you. Because when I went to this verse, I immediately wanted verse 2. Like, man, to be a weed child against this mother, if I could just have some of that right now with the Lord, just resting against the mother. But you can't have verse 2 without verse 1. It simply does not happen. And that's why... We've got to be people of the Bible. And what that means is not just people who pick and choose verses. Like you can think, be, some people call themselves a person of the Bible just because they love Bible verses. But there's a difference between loving verses and loving the Word of God. Where you sit down and it's not like, I just want, I want to basically have a thought in my mind and go find a Bible verse to prove it. You sit down with a word and say, God, I want you to actually speak to me. And I am ready to hear whatever it is that you have to say. Well, I didn't come that way. But I think by the grace of God, I ended, that, I ended up that way. God, God had some work to do in my own heart. And it's very apparent because it's like it was a little bit offensive. And it's like, well, then I guess it applies to me. And I've got pride that needs to get plowed up here. God wants to talk about your pride. And this is so, this is so important. It's the negative side of the work. When they were working on our, um, when they were working on repairing our slab and our foundation, um, one of the the actual experts came out, and when he came out, he said, "What we're going to need to do before we actually build you a solid platform here, we're going to have to remove some of the mud because that mud underneath is actually what's causing your problem." Well, that's what the psalmist is talking about here. You want rest. You want to be like a wean child. You want that experience where you can rest on the Lord and let Him carry all of your cares. There's some mud that's going to have to be removed. And that mud is our pride. And there is simply no way around it. No way around it. Pride is the enemy of peace and rest. You cannot have peace and rest without first uh, confronting your pride. The context of all real rest is humility. Listen to the connection here, even with coming to the Lord. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. There's the connection. You see it? You want real rest? Humility. Come into the context of humility. The reason why the Lord, if you come to the Lord, if you are not a Christian here today, if you will come to the Lord, you will find rest. You know why? Because He's gentle and humble in heart. It's the same way in our, our own hearts. Do you want rest? Humility is a prerequisite. So that's what He does. He turns to deal with pride and He aims to uproot pride on every level. And when we're talking about pride, we're just talking about the self-life. The self-life. And he talks about it kind of in three little areas or he just highlights three little um, places where pride comes out in our life. And I found it helpful the way that one brother grouped this. He grouped it in terms of self-reliance, 
self-exaltation and self-rule. That's what he's talking about here in these three categories. So let's look at this. The psalmist says, My heart is not proud. This is self-reliance, basic self-reliance. The psalmist is going to renounce this. He starts at the source, his heart, and any inkling of self-reliance that raises up inside of him, he immediately cuts it off. He immediately cuts us off. We see this, and I'll just read this passage in the life of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 5. Daniel says this, Because of the grandeur which he, God, bestowed on him, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language feared him and trembled before him. Whomever he wished he killed, and whomever he wished he spared alive, and whomever he wished he elevated, and whomever he wished he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up, and his spirit became so proud that he, but his heart was lifted up, and his spirit became so proud that he behaved arrogantly. His heart was lifted up. He felt self-sufficient. He felt like, I don't really need God. I don't really need anybody else. It's this basic idea of, I've got this under control. I might take suggestions, but I really don't need outside input. And the thing that we have to watch out here is there's some types of this sort of thing that are very blatant. You've got people, I don't need the Lord. I don't need God. I'm living my own life. They don't go to church. They don't read their Bible. They don't have any interest in the things of the Lord. But there's a subtle form of this too. If we're not meeting with the Lord and coming to His Word and praying, that's self-reliance. Because by default, what we're saying is, and, and even when life is busy, and there are seasons, and I, man, I know about, I really do know about seasons. And... And there are difficult seasons, and there's people in here that have faced a lot more difficult stuff than we have. But there are busy seasons, so it varies. But there should never be a time, there can never be a time in the Christian's life when you take a break from meeting with God, reading His Word, and talking to Him about what's going on, and getting to know Him, and communing with Him. Because if you're not doing that... Like it or not, what you're saying is, is I have this for right now, and if I need something, I'll come back. It's self-reliance. But he says he's done with that. My heart is not proud. Self-reliance is finished. He goes on, nor are my eyes haughty. This is self-exaltation. This is his attitude toward other people. One person wrote it like this, to have haughty eyes is to have an arrogant demeanor. It's an overall attitude of one's heart that causes one to scorn or to look down on others. The eyes are the dashboard of the soul. You find that all throughout Scripture. You know what a dashboard is. If you're riding along, you've got your gas up here, you've got how hot your engine is, you've got all this other stuff. And it's kind of a few things that can give you an indicator of what's going on with a car in general. Well, that's what the eyes are according to the Bible. And that's why I started looking them up and I ended up having to give up because there are so many where the Bible talks about haughty eyes. Just search on that. It's everywhere. A couple of, well, there's one time it says haughty eyes is sin. I mean, it's pretty amazing. It's this arrogance. And the first one talks about is really self-reliance in terms and a lot of, a lot of it relates to the Lord. The second one relates to not need, for not need of people looking down on people, thinking they have an inferior position because of some position that you hold, or because you have some knowledge in an area and they do not, that somehow makes you superior. 
It's just this general idea of walking down. It's what people usually call looking down through your nose at people. And the psalmist says, I'm done with it at the heart level, and I'm done with it at the eye level. He moves on to this last level. He says, nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. This is the idea of self-rule, and this is an attitude towards the Lord. Often this relates to inward turmoil because of the way that God is ruling the universe. I don't involve myself in matters that are too difficult for me. Now what this is not saying, the Christian is called to live an impossible life all the time. We're called to love in situations that's impossible. We're called to do all sorts of things that are impossible in terms of fallen man and what he's capable of apart from the spirit. This does not relate to that. Again, remember, we're talking about the soul. We're talking about whether your soul is getting tangled up and you're getting troubled by all of these questions and all of these situations and you're trying to involve yourself in matters that are simply too difficult for you to handle. That's what Job did. And I really, this verse right here really brings this out in Job 42. Job says this, it says this, it says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. He did that. He unwittingly challenged the way that God is running the universe. God why aren't you doing this? I'm doing this, but this is not happening. Or Lord, this is happening. Why is it happening? Why aren't you stopping this situation? Why aren't you starting this other situation? I mean, it just goes on and on and on. There are so many things in this world that if you let them, they will just sink your soul with turmoil and unrest and no peace at all. You can spend the rest of your life that way if you are willing to involve yourself in matters too difficult for you. And it goes everything from why is this not happening in this specific situation to when you are assailed with thoughts of does God exist? Does God exist? But the psalmist had found a more excellent way. The psalmist walked through the various levels of these pride and he began to compose his heart with truth. The first thing he did is he started in his heart, he moved to his eyes, and then to out in general and the way that God rules the world, and he denounced pride on every level and said, I am not in control of my life. God's truth is what's true. He rules. He's wise. I'm not. He sees things I do not see. He understands things I don't understand. He made all of this. And so I am completely and utterly renouncing all rights to myself. And I lay myself in the dirt and say, Lord, have your own way. Yeah. Rid of all that pride. Rid of all that pride. But he doesn't stop there. He moves on to hope. Rest comes from a soul composed and quieted with hope. This is the positive side of the work. Once pride is removed, the soul can be composed and quieted with this hope in the Lord. And we see these two tied together in Psalm 42, 5. He says this. He says, Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me? That's what we're talking about. 
Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him for the help of His countenance. You see the connection there? A disturbed soul. I've got a disturbed soul in me. What is the cure for my disturbed soul? Look away from yourself and hope in God. Hope in God. Here's a question. If you have a problem with hope, have you considered that your problem is likely pride? Just to tie the two together, the way that the psalmist ties these two together. If you have a problem with hope in an area, you're facing a situation and you're just, you don't have any hope. And hope doesn't always mean that you know exactly how it's going to pan out. But hope definitely says, I know God's going to work this for my good and His glory. If you have a hope problem, you likely have a, a pride problem. It is true to say that the opposite of pride is humility, but it's also equally true to say that the opposite of pride is trust. It's not just humility kind of isolated as a concept over here by itself. The opposite of pride is trust. And again, we can see this radical reorientation from the psalmist looking at itself to putting all of his hope on the Lord. All of his hope on the Lord. And as I mentioned earlier, what's very encouraging about this text to me is the universal application in verse 3. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. What's very encouraging is that this life, this rest in the Lord, is not just confined to certain people and certain seasons. It's for all Israel, and it's for this time forth and forever. It's not just when you have a lot of time to read the Bible and to fellowship with people. It's available in those seasons of life that are difficult. It's not just for preachers and missionaries. It's for the rest of us, which I put myself in, because I have a normal job just like all of you have also. The encouraging thing about this is that, and it just shows the tenderness of the Lord, God just extends His hand to a rebellious humanity and says, Are you tired yet? Are you tired yet? Then come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Just give up on your pride. Haven't you worn yourself out yet? Haven't you found that the self-life is the most miserable life on the face of the earth? Selfishness is a disease that kills the person that has it. You slowly rot away. And you were unwilling to let it go. And all the while, the creator of the universe, notwithstanding our sin, holds his arms out and says, I have made a way for rest in your life. If you are willing to surrender your pride and hope in the Lord. I thought about just reading like a million promises on this thing of hope because that's really what you're talking about, right? Hope in the Lord. You just, you just need, you need verses. You need Bible. You need to know what the Lord has said. And I, so I picked two that applied to me because <laughs> I figured maybe they might apply to some of you too. These are two that the Lord has really helped me with lately, especially in terms of facing a situation where you don't know how things will work out, one, which is hard enough as it is, And two, you don't know what you're going to do if they don't work out, right? You don't know what's going to happen. And if what happens is not good according to what you think is good, you don't know what you're going to do about it. Well, there's there's a couple of verses, two verses that really encouraged me on this. 
and I hope you'll see how, they, I, how they've applied to me. The first one is something that Christ says in John. He says this. He says, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. Now, that helped me a lot, and that gave me hope, because there's a lot of times when you don't know the specifics, but the specifics oftentimes is not what God has called us to do. Christ, Christ even getting down into specifics, think of Christ saying stuff like this, Father, please let this cup pass from me. Or on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet, it can also be said of him, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He never let go of some fundamental things, simply because of this. No matter what situation you're in, or how hard it is to figure out, you can always do the will of God in that situation. Because the will of God often is not this big hidden thing that you have to go on a treasure hunt for. It relates to things like love, Lord, what does it mean to love in this situation? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. And if I don't know it in like the big full picture, I'm going to do it in this specific situation, talking to this person. I'm going to treat them like they're a person in the image of God. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be respectful. I'm going to listen and I'm going to speak truth. That's love. I can do that. I don't have to know how the thing's going to come out, but I can do that in every single situation. I can find these basic things where... God says, this is the will of God. And you can do those things. There's a lot of those things in Scripture that don't require for you to know what the big picture is to do them at the present time. My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. Is that what you're after? Or are you after trying to figure things out? Do you have to know what the big picture is before you're going to move forward in this situation? Or can you be content with just manifesting basic Christ-likeness until God makes the way. That's the will of God. You want to talk about the will of God in Scripture? All over the place. I preached a message on it one time and just tried to bring out all the verses because they're everywhere that the basic will of God for your life, if you want to talk about that, is the manifestation of Christ-likeness. I can probably figure out what that means in the specific situation without knowing the end. Do you need to know the end? Or are you content just to do the will of God? That gave me hope. That gave me hope. Number two. Well, at some point you do have to do something in situations. A lot of times it requires some kind of decision. That's where James comes in. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach. Don't you love the generosity of God? God is not going to leave you. If you have a prayer for wisdom, if you have a prayer for direction in your life that seems to be unanswered to date, know this, it's not because God is suspect. Don't ever let the devil slander God to you and make you feel like, God, man, prayer is like a slot machine. You drop like a million prayers in, you keep pulling the handle, and at some point, maybe you'll hit the jackpot. That's not God. That's not prayer. The Bible specifically says you need wisdom. God will give it to you. He's generous and he's not going to reproach you. He's not going to come and say, why are you asking for wisdom in this situation? This should be so clear to you. No, he's generous and he doesn't chide you. That's encouraging because that means if you don't have it yet, then it's because you don't need it yet. 
And when you need it, when the time comes that you need it, you will have that wisdom if you ask of God because of who God is. He's generous and He doesn't reproach anybody. He doesn't slap you on the hand for coming to Him. Those are two promises. We could go on for a long time. I, I, I started to bring a couple of promises, promises book and just keep reading. But I thought, you know, I can leave you to do that. And I thought of this. What we should use our meal time for sometimes, if you've got a situation where you don't have a lot of hope, ask the people sitting around you, do you have verses that could give me hope for this? That's what fellowship is. Fellowship is getting, you know, you're with other Christians and there's going to be time when they need verses from you. But that's the thing that we can do at meal, meal time today. If these verses didn't cover what you're going through, then ask the person sitting next to you, do you have any verses for me? I'm dealing with this right here and I need to hope. I want to hope in the Lord. Can you give me some anchors that I can tie on to? That I can tie on to. Hope in the Lord. All we have to be concerned about is manifesting Christ's likeness in the situation. And when the time comes to make big decisions, we can ask the Lord and He'll give us wisdom. But coming back and closing with this general thought here, it's a wonderful picture. And you can see why Spurgeon said it's one of the shortest psalms to read but the longest to learn because it has to do with letting go of pride. It has to do with humbling yourself and trusting in the Lord. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul like a weaned child rest against his mother my soul is like a weaned child within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning, Lord. We come to you like children. Lord, we want this. We want to know more of what it is to be weaned from the world, weaned from ourselves, weaned from preoccupation, with our own lives. God, would you help us, would you help me not to be proud, not to hold on to the self-life, but to hope in the Lord, to have my orientation and my life centered on you and doing your will, on just manifesting Christ-likeness. Lord, would you help us today? We thank you. Lord, another promise you said, if anyone asks anything in my name, I will do it. Lord, would you do this for us, every single one of us. In Christ's name, amen.